holidays are just around the corner, and it's time to be thinking about getting those perfect gifts for family, friends, or maybe even for yourself. We have the perfect opportunity for you to take care of that shopping list and support ACB Media at the same time. It's the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Join us on Sunday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Zoom or on ACB Media. You can bid on great, unique items like handmade crafts, collectibles, technology, and food, including those wonderful baked goods and a whole lot more. If you want to get a jump start on things, the Sneak a Peek Appetizer Auction is also back this year on November 25th and 26th. Watch your email for more details or contact Leslie Spoon. Her email address is lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. We'll see you Sunday, November the 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Happy bidding! The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening. This is um, Paul Edwards, and welcome to Tuesday Topics. Um, we we have most of our, our usual crowd here at the moment. Mr. Brian Charlson um, is, is in the ether somewhere. But uh, Miss Marianne is here doing hand raising for us. Miss Marianne, hello. Good evening, Paul. And thank you so much for for all of your work. We have sort of seconded Marianne. She came, she came for a couple of weeks, and we haven't let her go. <laughs> My pleasure. I love it. My our, our streamer Larry Gassman is here. Mr. Larry, how goes Thanksgiving week? Everything is good. Looking forward to Thanksgiving. Yes, very good. And of course, the the senior producer and boss of us all is here, Mr. Rick. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Paul. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, that's excellent. I am excited about our program tonight because Tuesday Topics has, over the past several years, done uh, bunches of programs about an issue that many of us involved in Tuesday Topics and most of us involved in ACB believe is a really important issue uh, for people who are blind, that is employment. One of the ways that ACB um, can grow is by having more people who can afford to join ACB. And, And in order to do that, it's really a pretty good plan for folks uh, to be employed. And in an earlier call this year, we we had made mention when we were talking about employment of the fact that ACB had an employment committee. We weren't sure what the employment committee was doing. And we thought that it would be good to invite um, some of those folks to join us for a program um, to talk about some of the work that the employment committee is doing and also to be available for uh, for us to perhaps uh, raise some questions with them or give them some ideas about some directions that they can go. One of the co-chairs of that committee is uh, Brooke Jostat from Colorado. Good evening, Brooke. Perhaps. Hi, I'm right here. There you go. So 
Why don't you tell us about um, the other members of the employment committee and, um, and then we'll start exploring in a little while some of the stuff that you guys are doing. Great. Um, so my name is Brooke Jostad and I'm a co-chair of the employment committee and I'm here with Melanie and Michael, Michael Bancock and Melanie. I don't want to try to say your name wrong. Will you please say it for me? Your last name. <laughs> Altsanoe. Okay. And the three of us are here to discuss what the employment committee does. Very good. Now you you do have other members, and and just for the heck of it, if you know if you remember who they are, you could tell us who they are, just so everybody knows who's on the committee. Yeah, we have um, Peter Alchel. We have Sarah Freeman Smith, Kelsey Nickelby. Um, we have um, Rosanna Beaudry, Carrie Muth. Um, um, if I'm missing you, I'm not meaning to. Um, uh, I think that those are our main members. That, that sounds pretty comprehensive, Miss um, Brooke. Um, so, um, you became chair last year, is that right, Brooke? No, I became chair in 2019. Very good. Okay. Um, so, which of you would like to start and tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that the employment committee is doing? I'm happy to start. Um, Go for it. We um, have done a number of things over the years. Um, in 2019, when I began, we did some surveying of employers and employees. And then um, in 2020, we launched a podcast um, called Let's Get to Work. And we spent a whole year and a half interviewing people um, from a variety of different um, career paths um, about their how they arrived at the careers they have, and all of them being blind and visually impaired people. So everything from chefs to childcare workers to um, engineers, scientists, social workers, we, we interviewed a, a quite a variety of of people in that series um and currently we are not doing interviews although we have considered restarting that in the coming year um we also have done a variety of community calls and active on con on from convention um we did a few a few presentations at convention about about workplace etiquette about interviews um, about a variety of topics there. Um, and then most recently, we um, we are working on kind of resurveying our population to figure out what the needs of ACB members are, what people are interested in having us as a committee do. Um, and then Melanie um, and Michael, what would you guys can certainly add on to that? Uh, Melanie, do you, do you want to add something? Well, Brooke stole my convention thunder because that's always where my passion is. Um, but that's that's where you've seen us a lot. You've seen us in the elevator pitch programming, um, uh, selling yourself. That was a program we did with um, Ivy and Next Gen. Um, I know one of the things that we're going to try to do early, early 2023. Um, is get together uh, with next gen and students 
um, to see what, you know, that that's the generation, that's the age, right, that's actively in the workplace um, or actively trying to get into it. And so we are going to proverbially pick their brain um, about what their issues are and also what the issues are once you get hired. Um, so that's that's where you've seen us. That's kind of um, another path that we're going to go down. Um, we had done community calls and they had, you know, gone on hold once, you know, like everything goes on hold around convention. Um, and then, you know, right now we're just kind of in that reforming, replanning about where do we want to go with 2023. And then something from years back that um, if you've been around for a while, you've seen where we've had virtual job fairs. Um, and that's something that, you know, we would like to do again. We just need to have that support from, from the national office. But, you know, we've had job fairs in the past. We've had lots of employers, but, you know, not necessarily a lot of participants. And I know that's something that we, um, you know, have been juggling the balls in the air about, can we make it happen and make it successful um, in this new, you know, this new hybrid virtual world that we're in? It is tough. Michael, anything you'd like to add? Well, everything that I was going to say has kind of already been mentioned. Uh, the Let's Get to Work podcast was something I was brought on to assist with some editing of. And at first, I'll be transparent. I'm like, okay, there's it's it's yet another podcast that's interviewing blind individuals. Cool. Let's let's do this. And and that was my my attitude against it in the beginning. But then I realized that it's it's not interviewing individuals who are who are working because cool a blind person can work. It's interviewing individuals who are doing what they are passionate about and out there actually making a difference in their communities. One person we interviewed, for example, was a uh, formerly a, a carnival a carnival owner. And that's not something you hear a lot of blind individuals talking about, hey, I want to go out there and, and run my own carnival or I want to, I want to be able to move uh, rides. We also interviewed someone who uh, does sensory tasting with individuals and, and blindfolds them and says, hey, pay attention to what you're tasting and not what you actually see or hear around you. Um, so, so that, I think, was very fun. Uh, it brought a wide variety of individuals who we could uh, communicate with and, and learn from. Melanie mentioned the fact that once you get employed, what are some of the challenges a blind individual might face when they uh, are actually in that job? I remember it like it was probably yesterday, even though it wasn't, um, that uh, when I was in high school, I told my uh, guidance counselor I wanted to be a 911 dispatcher because I had a fondness of radio and I had a fondness of of wanting to make a difference in lives. So I did what I what I have had no problem with doing in the past and picked up the phone, made a call to uh, the, the 911 office and, and at, started asking questions. And they had a dispatcher call me back and that dispatcher told me, they said, hey, Michael, I hate to tell you this, but you're not gonna be able to be a 911 dispatcher because you're gonna have to read a map. And you know what, that, that right there dashed my hopes in high school thinking, well, I guess I'm going into radio because everyone tells me I have a voice for radio where I guess I'm going into computers. I can't do what I wanted to do. And then come to find out, we interviewed someone who retired from being a 911 dispatcher. And I think having those resources available for other individuals who might be interested in jobs that may not be your traditional job, but something you you really want to do and uh, seeing other blind individuals being able to perform those job duties could be encouraging and helpful. So my co-host Brian Charlson is with us. Good evening, Brian. Hey there. 
that that traffic out there on Thanksgiving week is something else. Excuse me, I believe that. Um, so, so we are we are just getting started, really, Brian, and we're we're kind of exploring at the moment some of the things that um, that the employment committee has been doing. One of the things you guys talked about, in fact, Brooke talked about it as 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 an as an area that you guys started with was doing some surveys, and I find that interesting because I think uh, I, I am one of those folks who believes that there are that there are three levels of lies: lies, damned lies, and statistics, and um, and therefore it it. It it is always interesting to me when people are actually trying to do um, some some research that that is aiming to get some real numbers that one can attach to these things. So, um, Brooke, would you like to tell us a little bit about the surveys you started with? Yeah, um, they didn't go as far as I had hoped, and it's something that <coughs> I'd be maybe interested in revisiting at some point, mm -hmm. but. Um, the idea was this was back before a lot of the folks that are currently on my committee were there. We had a different group of people, but we interviewed um, job. The survey, there was two surveys. One was for people who are looking for jobs and one was for people who have the jobs. So corporations, companies that hold the jobs. And the idea was to ask people who are holding jobs, what are their reservations about hiring blind people? in an anonymous way, giving them a space to kind of share um, some of their reservations, the things that they think would be an asset about hiring a blind person, and then vice versa with job seekers. What is it that makes them the most hesitant about applying for a job? And what is the most, you know, what are things that they look for in a job? And I, our, my current, our current group has discussed the idea of doing that again. And I would I might, we might be piloting that again in 2023. The, the challenge that I had was that people weren't filling them out. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a big challenge I've had in general is that we offer these resources to the community and the community isn't really accessing them. Um, and so that has been the biggest challenge that I've had is what is it about these resources that aren't accessible to the community? Um, you know, for example, the podcast is the podcast reaching the people that need to hear it, et cetera. Um, and so that, that was our biggest challenge was really participation in the survey, but it is something I think would be very valuable to get job seekers and job holders to be communicating. I think it would. So the podcasts are, I'm assuming the podcasts are available on, 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 uh, ACB's podcast page. I believe the answer to that is now yes. They are. They are. Okay. I've seen them. Yep. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, but I, I guess my question is, um, and 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 maybe it's maybe it's not a fair question, but but I certainly didn't know about the surveys, and and so I'm wondering, I'm wondering how how you guys get the word out about what you're doing, and I and I I don't know that I knew about the podcasts either. I've used the leadership list for both um, in the past. I did the, the survey was certainly three years ago. Yep. Um, and then the, the podcast, I know we've, we've 
spread the word a little bit on the leadership. You know, it's always a, a challenge to know when to when to spam and when not to spam. It's a Shakespearean mm-hmm. question. Yeah, well, there are there are, there are other lists and also other ways of getting um, information out. I think. Um, so, have you guys in in your meetings come up with with any notions of what you see as the chief problem or the chief barriers that are that are keeping blind people from going to work? I mean, that there, there yes. are. There's. Go ahead. Tell us. I'll share. And then I'd like Michael and Melanie to also share. I know one of the biggest themes that came up in our podcast recordings was that there has to be some persistence. That if there is a sense of learned helplessness or a sense of uh, waiting or lack of persistence, employment doesn't usually happen. There needs to be persistence and resourcefulness. I think Mm -hmm. those have been some of the main issues has been if people don't feel like they they feel a learned helplessness, they feel like they can't be creative, or there's you know resource issues or persistence issues. But I I'd like to hear from my other team members about that too. So I think for me, one of the biggest challenges that I can personally speak for and that, that I can also say has come up, and, and it's the one that we all know, the one that we all have been familiar with, and that is transportation. Um, you can get offered this amazing job, but if you can't make it back and forth to that job, is the offer of the job actually worth it for you? And and that's one of those uh, questions that, that a blind individual has to definitely um, worry about. Um, trans- public transportation is great, but I live in, in a town myself where uh, the nearest public transportation is 15 miles and 15 miles is a long ways to walk to catch a bus to go to work. So uh, I think that is definitely a huge challenge for a lot of users. Does Uber and Lyft solve some of that problem, Michael? We just got Uber to the town that's 15 miles away from us uh, in September of this year. So not not as much as people might think it might. Mm. Uh, where, where do you if the cost of yep. of the uber is more than an hour's pay well i get that um where do you where do you live michael i, I don't think oh. i knew yeah i'm on the southern oregon coast nice yeah ah okay so um uh miss sonori do you want to add anything yeah i'd echo both but i'd also add into it there's so I've had the, the pleasure, oh, the pleasure of going through trying to find a job over the last three months after 15 years uh, of not needing to find a job. <laughs> um, and that whole perseverance, it, it whether you're sighted or not, finding a job stinks. It's yes, it exhausting. Does. Yep. Then you layer into it, you know, everything that we're dealing with. But I'd also add into it, um, you know, digital accessibility and, you know, going through, I had screening interviews that were done via text message. I had screening interviews that were done via an app on the, you know, a a website app. Um, For me, because I have um, some usable vision, they weren't inaccessible, but we have in this world now these businesses are using these platforms to screen, to do their applications, and they're not necessarily accessible or they have, you know, in that screening is our graphs or charts or visuals, right? And they're not accessible. So even though you're qualified, now you have that second hurdle to go through, which is how do I just get to a person because, because of your screener, 
right? I got I got to the screener, but it's inaccessible. So now what do I do? And and there, you know, there there are options, there are there are avenues to go down, but it's just one more hurdle in what's already a very difficult thing, cited or not. So Melanie, you you just before we came on the air said that there was a good story that you could tell us tonight. And does that actually relate to the fact that your persistence has paid off? It has. <laughs> <laughs> so Friday I got offered a job uh doing what I did uh for my previous company and making more money win. <laughs> um <laughs> But so much of that is is the battle that we all have, right? We always talk about when do I disclose? When do I not disclose? Now, yep. now I'm going through the process of, okay, I've got the job. Now I need to talk to you about other things. So I'm having those conversations now that the, you know, the acceptance letter has been signed and we're working on a start date and all of that. So very happy. I'm amongst the employed again, <laughs> but now I get to start what I haven't had to do for 15 years. I haven't started at a new company in, in a long, long time. And the world is just different now. Um, and I think that's something that we have to adjust to and we have to speak to is it's it's just very different than even two, even probably two or three years ago. Now, I haven't heard any of the three of you, and, and Brian, I'll let you ask the, the next few questions after this, but I haven't heard any of the three of you talk about discrimination. Does it not exist? I haven't experienced it. I can't say it doesn't exist. And you know, it's funny when I when I spoke with my new boss today or yesterday, I said, you know, I need to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, you know, that I, I'm you know visually impaired, blah, 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 went through the whole spiel. And I said, you know, I really hope that you didn't take that as me being deceptive, but it's a very hard road to walk when you when legally you can't not offer me the job if I'm the right person but there are ways around that and we had a very nice candid conversation I really am I think she's going to be a very supportive person in my corner but they're not always supportive they're not always in your corner they're not always willing to fight mm -hmm. um I think it still exists I think people are very very careful about it um but I haven't experienced it so I would oh, go ahead, Michael. Okay, so uh, two of my previous employers, uh, I'm currently employed part time, and uh, two of my previous full time employers, uh, my blindness came up during the interview, typically, and it wasn't a you're blind. How are you going to do this? It was more well. One of them, I was a guide dog operator uh, uh, handler, and so the uh, lady was talking to me about my dog, um, and then my most recent uh, employment when I was full-time employed, they knew I was blind because I had formerly worked for the company. However, when I reached out to the hiring manager after being offered employment, I, I had asked, I said, when, when can I come in to get my computer set up with JAWS? With the assumption that they had already known that JAWS was a requirement that I would need for this employment because it was what I used a couple of years prior. Uh -huh. The lady who I spoke to said, oh, I didn't know you were blind. 
let me get a hold of IT and we'll get that figured out. And that was my experience. I understand that that is not the experience of everyone else. Mm-hmm. However, I also came into it with the with the outlook of if I'm run into something that isn't accessible, one of my tools, I have the technical skills to be able to try to find alternative ways to solve that. And I think that might be a problem too for other individuals who are offered employment. And and it may not be a discrimination issue. It may be a, I don't know how to explain the problems that I'm having with the tools that your company uses for me as an employee. So I have, like Melanie, haven't really experienced discrimination, but I am definitely not saying it's not out there. Brooke? Yeah. Um, I'm going to do my best <laughs> to explain this. Um, Yes, I think discrimination is out there. No, I don't think it's just blind people who get discriminated against. And I think it's important to remember that because I think when we have been singled out for so much of our lives for being blind or if we felt that way, it can be really easy to assume it will always be there and that it'll always be because we are blind. But there are plenty of other people that have other forms of discrimination. Everyone is kind of going through the same kinds of anxiety, very similar anxiety when they're applying for a job. I have experienced it. I'm sure. I mean, it's possible. Anytime I haven't gotten offered a job, I suppose it could have been that, but it could have been other reasons too, right? And so we might not always know. And I think if we spin our wheels trying to detect it at all times, it might be distracting from the actual goal. in my in most of my interviews, it has not been a problem. I have chosen to disclose pretty early. Not everyone makes that choice, but in my years of doing both, either withholding and waiting or not, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Everyone has to come to that personally. But I have chosen to disclose early on, even if it's a phone interview, <laughs> um, because I want to be the first one to talk about it. Yeah, and and, and, and we'll so probably. We'll probably get to some of that discussion later on in terms of disclosing or not disclosing. Right. Go ahead. So I think I'm just sorry. to kind of wrap up, I would just say, yes, yeah. I think it still exists. I know it still exists. But it's really easy to be the dis- in 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 your in in our attempt to to work through it, we can also amplify it a little bit. And I hope mm. that doesn't come off as punitive punitive. It is very real, but it can also be very real in our heads. Mm. Mr. Bryan. So I'm going to dance around some of the questions you've been asking, Paul. Discrimination, it's an interesting term. If somebody were to tell you they had a discriminating palate, (laughs) i.e. they had a taste for one thing versus another, this is a discrimination has got a name for itself now that's by definition negative. But we wouldn't want our children to not be discriminating when picking a life partner, would we? So I don't mind that people discriminate, but I want them to discriminate about the right part of me or the situation, right? Uh, so I, I can't imagine a world where there isn't discrimination. The trick is to, to narrow it down to the things that matter in terms of the job or, or the position that you're involved with. Discriminate, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more that a big part of that's in our head. It becomes 
the reason things aren't working rather than a re a reason things might not be going your way in the whole process would you would you agree with that i would agree with that absolutely and i'm glad you said it that way because you know something that we don't I think people in general don't sit down and internally do a retrospective and say, okay, where am I struggling? Is it my interview? Is it my skill set? Is it my experience? It's all, it's not always, that's not right, but it's often the outside world. It's something in my head, right? I can't, it's them, but we have to look at ourselves and say, you know, maybe I wasn't the best candidate or Maybe someone just has more experience than I do. Maybe we're apples and apples and they're just a little shinier. Um, and I think especially when it's external, right, you can't necessarily get the feedback to say, you know, to, to learn what the issue is. But I think we all need to step back and look in ourselves and say, where do I need to improve? Because oftentimes, I mean, it's not discrimination. You're just not the shinier apple. So if you were to ask me, Brian, I would absolutely disagree with you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, I, I, I think there is real discrimination, and I think it's important for us not only to know that it's there, but to create systems that begin to call it out. Um, I, I, I think that um, the... There, there is a range of different discrimination, and perhaps, perhaps the term discrimination is not the right one to use all the time. <clears throat> but let's take let's take one example. Once the Americans with Disabilities Act passed, and and it was determined that there was um, that there was some obligation that existed for um, Title Three entities to actually hire people with disabilities. Um, I think there there began to be uh, some companies who really approached things as though they wanted to hire um, people with disabilities, and that included people who were blind. However, uh, there were other companies who took the position that they really didn't want to get in the middle of this mess, and they looked for ways that they could avoid hiring folks with um, disabilities. And one of the ways that was pretty commonly used <clears throat> was very straightforward. And that was to simply put in a requirement for a year or two years of experience, because for the most part, folks who were disabled didn't have those. And so they were immediately and automatically disqualified from the positions, regardless of whether these were entry-level positions at the company or not. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but that to me is discrimination. That, that to me is creating um, an environment which is not friendly to a population and which excludes folks without any, without any indication of what their abilities are. So I would say this to that, Paul, and I, I want to hear our folks here weigh in on this as well. The average employer who's not see, expecting to see 12 applicants for a job, but might see 2,000 applicants for a job, has to find a way not to read all those inappropriately submitted 
applications. So they they set a higher and higher bar. As long as they get enough people that jump that higher bar, they're satisfied with the result. Now, the unintended consequence of that will be those who have a difficult time getting the, in your case, experience uh, to qualify for a job are discriminated against. But isn't the whole process of, uh, from the employer's point of view, to try to get enough people for the job that are qualified for the job in terms of skills uh, without having to wade through all the people who really shouldn't have applied in the first place? Let's let's let some of the employment committee jump in and, exactly. and tell me how I'm wrong. I would I would suggest that there are more cre- that we have to be creative in rising to that bar. That if we're having a hard time getting employment experience for a particular position, we need to, as a disabled person, because we know that we have to rise to a higher bar. It would be about unpaid. It'd be about internships or other creative ways of getting that experience yeah Yeah. i i i think that's i think that's right but i find it interesting that you say to rise to a higher bar are you suggesting uh, and i don't know if you are so don't let me put words in your mouth i'm sure you won't um are you suggesting that that whether we like it or not we are forced to 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 aim at a higher bar i am suggesting that yes yeah Okay, um, Brooke or and, and you or use Michael. the word fair a little bit, so be careful with that word fair. It, it's a it, you can spend all day long looking for a world that is I, fair. I I could yes, um, Michael or Michael. or Brooke. It comments on 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 this element or 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 are you passing? <laughs> I I I don't necessarily have anything addition to add to this it's Uh it's it's definitely something that i think um when you use the coming at it when thinking of using the word fair is is definitely a dangerous and slippery slope to slide down but it it is something that i think we all need to be aware of uh in order to to be successful in employment endeavors well we've got to realize too that there are other populations that deal with the same thing so mm-hmm. think about a 22-year-old that's just out of college. You need experience. Well, I need experience to get experience to get the job that needs experience, regardless of, of you know, what's going on if you didn't have an internship uh, in college sure. Or, sure. or any of that. So I think we, I feel like we silo ourselves, but we, we I feel like I see a Venn diagram, right? And there, we overlap and different populations overlap. In, sure, in these kind I, of situations, I would argue. I would argue, though, and 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 again, certainly, it's open. It's open to discussion. I would argue that it's easier for that kid coming out of college um, to to find a job where where he or she will be able to get the experience, whereas sometimes to 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 get past the door uh, for folks with disabilities is a lot harder. Um, I and would, that, I would disagree yeah. with that. Um, you know, if there's a poor uh, college student who's working three jobs waiting tables who wants experience sure. nursing, 
they're not going to be able to get it. Very oh, oh, no, no, no. But I'm saying after college, they could, they, they, I, I think, I think there are, uh, I think, I think that it's, it's going to be easier for them to get the requisite experience after college than it is for, for a person with disabilities to get it, or certainly a person who's blind to get it. Paul, if I might, this is Peter. Uh, first sure. of all, thank you, Brooke, and and uh, you guys are doing great. But but whenever I have this happen with discrimination, my immediate reaction is this is a both and discussion, not an either or discussion. Sure, it is discrimination, and we need to find ways of working through it. As as I think Melanie said, whenever I get whenever I th- uh, hear think about discrimination, I think of the following thing that happened to me. I was running a discussion between employers and students with disabilities attending. I think it was Penn State or some you know a school like that. And a human resources person said something along the following lines. She said, let's be honest. For every job we get, we get 100 resumes. And so we screen them out and we're down to 10. And so what we're looking for during the interviews is which of the 10 are uh, best fit our culture. And then she gave the punchline, which is, of course, this has nothing to do with disability. <laughs> Well, the disabled students had quite a lot to say about it, and it was one of the more interesting discussions I facilitated uh, during that the life of that project. Is that discrimination culture? What, what do you think? Of, I mean, you know, this this is these are complicated, deep issues, uh, and um, but I, the the idea that it's either one or the other, I don't think is helpful in this discussion. Uh, probably not, and and so we will we will drop it. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means, for me at least, that uh, I acknowledge it and I move on uh, in whatever it is that you know I'm engaged in at a given time. I'm curious, another question for the panelists, another problem other than, and I fully agree with transportation, I fully agree with um, persistence. Um, there's two other things that I think play a part and see if this rings true to you guys. And that is risk aversion, not willing to take a chance to make a move, to uh, try something that you may not have felt uh, you had full confidence could be done, but was offered an opportunity to do that kind of thing? Do you think that there's risk aversion more in in our community than in the community at large? I think that any marginalized group who has been generationally lesser than fights a an internalized learned helplessness. And that's a dog. And a persistence in an idea that 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 we somehow are going to fail if we take a risk. And so I do think there's more of a mental block that we all need to fight if we've been in a marginalized group. I think there's also a generational aspect to that too. Um, and I won't go on, on a millennial tirade, but th- they're not encouraged to take risks. They're not, you know, th- th- I think just in general, we, we aren't people aren't risk takers right unless you know people don't like conflict people don't like don't like risk they don't and, and i think it's also it can be demoralizing right if you take enough risks and you you know granted probability says one of them will take 
well, in theory, one of them will take off, but you get all of those no's with all of those risks, you're just going to stop. You, you can't, you can't take it anymore. Um, and I don't know where that line in the sand is. I know personally, I, I'll jump out of a plane. Like I, I risk doesn't bother me. Um, but I'm, you know, strong-willed and an alpha dog and, you know, <laughs> don't take it lying down. And I'm, that's unusual. Now, are you suggesting, I just want to be sure I understand that younger folks are, are more or less risk averse. More. I would agree. Definitely yeah. more risk averse. They've never been encouraged really? to. Yeah, I, I recently applied for a position uh, with a, a major company. It, it, it's a giant company. Um, I personally knew that I wasn't fully qualified for the position. And that's that's honestly been the story of most of the positions I've held in the past. Um, I, I wasn't fully qualified for the position. But I, and, and full transparency, I did not get it. However, I had two interviews with the company and one of my younger friends asked me, he said, Michael, why did you apply for that position when you knew you didn't have a bachelor's degree in computer science? And I told him, I said, it's because the worst that can be said is they tell me, no, you're not a good fit for this position. It's not like I'm going to get hurt or anything uh, because I applied for a position. Yeah, my feelings might be hurt for a day or two, but ultimately I, I came out of the experience knowing, A, what is it like to apply for a Fortune 100 company? And B, how how is that experience for this specific company if I decided to apply for another position in the future? And, and I don't see younger people taking those risks. Interesting. And without going too far down the rabbit hole that I could also go down for a while, I think it's also this, the culture of people can get things now quicker. You know, you can order a burrito now and it'll come in 20 minutes. That's, that's not how it has been for most, most of, of life. We haven't been able to just go on and have everything at our fingertips. And I think that psychologically has created more of a sense of we don't have to work for things. I think that that's a significant part of it. It's also for me, when I think people being risk averse is I'm not going to move for a job. I'm not going to move away from my comfort zone for a job. So those who want to live in the same town they were born in, or you know here in new england live in the berkshires well that that's lovely but there's not a lot of employment for anybody in the berkshires so in, unless you're comfortable with that then then you got to move and now i'm speaking as a uh, person born and raised in the oregon suburbs of portland and i moved to massachusetts for employment so that's a big risk. You know, you're moving away from everything you know to everything you don't know because the job is that important to you. Is you see blind people being as willing to relocate for employment? Nope. <laughs> no. Nope, I mean, nope. I don't have much of a frame of reference. I'm sure that there's people in every group that aren't willing, but certainly among, I think there's a lot of comfort zone issues among blind people i think it's also their support network and that goes yeah. that goes for anybody but your support network i picked up from dallas and moved to a little town in west virginia <laughs> for a job and it didn't work out 
but I, but I moved knowing if this doesn't work out, I'm going to try to make it work. And if it doesn't, I have a safety net and I can go back. I can, you know, whatever it is. Right. But I mean, kind of like the same idea. It's, it was a tiny little town. There weren't a lot of opportunities outside of what I was doing. So I took a risk. It didn't work. Did I learn a ton? A ton. And I would never, ever take that experience back. Um, but again, I'm and I'm you had a plan ball. B. And I had a plan, had plan B, plan but I B. had a support system to help with exactly. that plan B. Yep. Oh, now would you ever go back to a small town again? I would. Yeah, I'd think about it. Yep. Very good. So if so I said risk adverse is one of the things I was looking for. The other thing that uh well, and it, we we've used it as the example here. So if transportation is your number one or in the top three reasons that you're having uh, a harder time finding employment than your fellow non-disabled people, then do you move to where the transportation is reliable as part of your job search? Or do you uh, just persist uh, and continuously look uh, in the less mobile areas of the country so if you would have asked me this two and a half years ago i would have said yeah i want to move to a place where transportation is reliable i'm finding more and more though that the hybrid work environment or the virtual work environment almost does take a lot of that transportation away uh, i've worked from home from home for uh, two and a half years now, and it's it's been a fun adventure. I absolutely miss the office environment and the uh, being able to engage with other people aside from the dogs of the fourteen and or fifteen and sixteen year olds. But if if I was offered a a pretty good job uh, right now and I had to be able to trans transport myself to that job, then then there is a possibility of of relocation. But also in my situation, it's is it worth moving the whole family for me to be able to get myself back and forth to work when I can still work from home? And those are, are difficult questions that I can't make a decision on on my own. That was part of the negotiation strategy that I had um, with this actual job. Um, two parts. A, does the money or do I need to ask for more money to offset transportation costs? Um, this was in North Phoenix and I'm in South Phoenix and you would think that wouldn't be a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but then the flip side is, so, you know, in part of the conversations and they were very transparent, this job is in North Phoenix. And I said, okay, let's just see how far we get. And now in the conversation that I had today, I am now working at our campus that's, or I will be working at our campus that's 13 minutes away all in my negotiation and it was a hybrid it's a hybrid role um but that position right now doesn't have a or that that campus right now doesn't have a, a an open desk so i'm going to be virtual for the next six months completely and then my argument at that point is okay well here's my productivity why would i need to go into the office so it, you know and and that's those are things that i don't think we realize you can negotiate um in that job offer so we might as well go through the process and see what happens and what you can get out of it and 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 i guess you would argue that that 
um, you need to be pretty assertive in terms of what you want rather rather than kind of hanging back and listening to what they're offering and say, okay. Absolutely. And have options. Okay. Can we do this? You know what? I did my research and I saw that there was a campus in Tempe. I saw there was a campus in Chandler. I saw there was the one that was posted in Phoenix. So I gave them options. I said, can we look at these offices? And they said, well, we can look, let's look. And she came back and she said, we can't do this one, you know, for these reasons, but we can do this one. So part of it is also saying, here are some ideas and not just telling them what you, what you want or what you need, and then giving them the why. You know, a lot of people, I think we all in general understand things better when you understand the why behind something. So my first request was, I'd like to move closer. And they're like, well, sorry, it's posted here. And then I had the conversation about why I want to move closer. And they went and they looked into the options. And to add on to that, I would say it's really easy. I had to unlearn the idea that I needed to just take what I could get. That as a blind person, if I got offered a job, beggars shouldn't be choosers. And if I want to get offered a job that's $13, $12 an hour after my master's degree, I should take it. That was something that I had to learn the hard way that we have to, we also can make requests and we can, we can negotiate and we should. I guess I guess my question is uh, how how do you determine when when you can do that and when you can't? Uh, I you know I guess my my feeling is that I mean I always I always negotiated with my jobs as well, um, and 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 I'm lucky enough to have f- for the most part been employed um, almost almost all my life from the time I left college until, till the time I retired. Um, but, but in, in, in making that decision, I, I, I think that, I think that one of the things that, that, that I did was to, um, was to try to gauge with, uh, with, with the person to whom I was talking um how much room there appeared to be given given the interaction that we were having and the same thing would be true of a, of a of an interview panel um how much how much room there actually was for uh for for negotiation discussion and and sometimes i guess i did make the decision when i was applying for a job that would have meant more money um that that i just didn't want to play because of the because of the attitudes that I was getting from the place that I applied. Uh, would you guys say that that's, that that's okay? Or is that, or, or, or should one, should one be pretty assertive regardless? I think like a lot of things in life, especially when it comes to negotiating, because we can talk about negotiating different things in just jobs. Right. It really comes down to the, the environment that you find yourself in. Sometimes right. there are negotiations you sh- really should push for. Other times, sure. you it's not worth the time or the energy because you already, and, and you never know for sure, but you feel like you know what the outcome of that negotiation will be. So one of the things that we try to do um, on, on this call is to kind of go around and see whether we get to consensus about 
certain issues that we're talking about concerning the topic. And one of the areas that's certainly a concern um, with regard to employment is when when you disclose that you have a visual impairment. Um, so maybe we could go around our panelists, and then we might even go around the, the other folks who are here who have all had jobs of various kinds and see what they think. So, Brooke, when when do you typically um, indicate that that you've got a visual impairment? I disclose early. Um, I disclose as soon as I can um, because I want to be the first one to talk about it. Um, so I've done it both ways, though. So, Brooke, you have you have some usable vision, is that right? I do not. You do not. Okay. Um, so, um, do you uh, you will generally um, disclose bef before the interview or or early in the interview? Early in the interview, if they haven't noticed already, but usually there's a phone interview, and that's when I'll disclose. Nice. Um, Miss Melanie? I don't disclose it till I have the job. And, and part of the conversation that I have is I don't make a big deal out of it. I mean, I got a new manager in my last job. I got a new manager. And I was like, you know, wow, I kind of forgot to tell you that this is, like, this is the issue until I had, like, I can't see colors. So there was a chart that came up that was all in colors. I was like, oh, I never told Ryan that I can't. Ooh, okay. So we had a we had a nice little laugh about it because it I don't make a big deal out of it. I know ways to, I know how to do my job and I know how to do it well. And I know what tools I have in my arsenal. And all they can do is give me more tools. Um, but I I just that's how I've always taken it. It's just it's just a part of who I am. So I don't call it out until I need to. And and you do have some usable vision, yes, Melly? I do. Yep. Uh, Michael? So I'm completely blind, have been since birth, and I went to public schools all my life. So to me, my blindness is just something that's part of me. If it comes up in conversation, uh, somehow, like maybe uh, during an interview, uh, they'll, they'll list some of the tools that they use, or they'll ask questions about performing the essential job duties, then my blindness might come up then. Um, I have always talked to an employer prior to the first day of uh, employment about my blindness. Uh, though I've been switched between teams and like Melanie forgot to tell one of my managers that I was blind. And that was a laughing moment for both of us. Uh, and, and that comes down to your personality though, because some people could sure. easily get offended by that. And and Chris and I, we just laughed about it. And then we moved on. He said, well, how can I support you best? So to me, it, it really just flows with when it, I feel it's appropriate to let people know. And usually it is not that early in the hiring process for me. Interesting. Um, I, I I find that um, interesting, Brian. Do you disclose uh, early? Only only in my first oh three or four jobs did I was I in a position where disclosure was an issue. Um, do it or don't do it. Uh, I got the jobs doing things that you wouldn't think a blind person could do because the employer was desperate for warm bodies doing those jobs. 
So it was, let's see how it works. And they reserved the right to say, nope, a blind person can't do this job. They didn't know a blind person could or couldn't. And I stayed with all of those jobs. But, you know, then later, my resume disclosed that I was a blind person. Because when I had to put in experience, there was a lot of the word blind in those opportunities, uh, the volunteerism, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty obvious without me making any real decision on my own behalf. I think mm -hmm. that if I had to do it today, I would probably disclose early because I'd rather they do their silent discrimination early in the day rather than late in the day. I want to feel them out to see what their reaction is to know whether I'm going to be comfortable working mm. for that person. Mm -hmm. Mr. Larry, do you disclose early? Uh, I, yeah, I don't anymore because I, I, well, I was almost retired until ACB, but it didn't matter with ACB. <laughs> um, but I disclosed early when I first started working for Marriott and I was told later by my manager, she said, we, w as soon as you walked in the door, we were going to hire you because it was all personality. And it was some of the things I said probably, but that was 21 years ago and everything was not virtual. Everything was in person. So for me, it was easy. It was it was fun. I enjoyed myself there, and I disclosed very early. Uh, I figured they had the right to know, and if there was going to be discrimination, I couldn't control that. And luckily, it didn't happen. Mr. Rick, did you disclose? Uh, well, I've got kind of an interesting story. It takes a long time to tell, but I uh, I went to a co-op school. And the reason why I went to a co-op school was to 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 get uh, experience, so that the experience hurdle, uh, you know. And this was a long time ago. I'm I'm 68 years old, so this was way before ADA and stuff. And um, during my whole co-op experience, I used to put it on my resume that I was legally blind, and I would never, you know, I had a three nine cum, and I figured, hey, you know, legally blind three nine people would think I've got a lot on the ball. I would never make it to pass the at originally screening original screening interviews i took it off my resume and i i did you know what i would do the strategy that i would use in an interview is at, i would ask questions um to determine whether or not there was anything about the job that i would not be able to do and then i would disclose if that were the case and i'd get into a lot of detail about about what the job entailed um i got hired in a job once uh, I got the most competitive co-op job in the marketing department at Northeastern University. And when I showed up at the job, um, the guy wanted me to go caddy for him. And when he found out I couldn't drive a car, he immediately fired me. Now, that was clearly a case of discrimination and a lot of things, lot of things went from there. But the job itself had had no, you know, I mean, that was a case where I did not disclose at all until I showed up at the job. Okay. So I, I, I believe that, you know, I, I, for me to not, if I were to go back in the job market now, I, I would not start work without disclosing, um, you know, I'm, I think I'm similar in similar mind to what Melanie's talking about, but, but, you know, like Michael said, you got to take it situationally. And, uh, and I also have a big belief too, that, you know, I, I, I mean, the interview that I had, um, I had one job interview coming out of college, and it's a long story. And 
And then I stayed with that company for 34 years, but, but I basically walked it, you know, I almost walked away from that interview because the guy started to contradict some things that he had said earlier about being a people company. And I said, you know, if that's the way you guys are going to be, I'm, I, I don't want to work for you. And I always mm-hmm. had the attitude that if the environment wasn't going to be right, I wasn't, I wasn't going to waste my time. I wasn't going to work there. And I was good enough to find something. I just had to keep persisting. And I think this whole notion of persistence is, you know, you know, it it is very, very true. I also, my upbringing, I, I, you know, there was never a question in my mind whether or not I would work. Okay. It was never an option for me not to work. Right. I never had services. I never knew. I didn't even know that there was something called SSI or any of that kind of stuff. Okay. I was determined to work. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think some people, you know, aren't, you know, I, and, and I worked when I was in high school. I started working when I was 15 years old and I worked mm-hmm. at McDonald's and I've, I've run into a lot of people blind and not that say, I'm not going to go sling hamburgers. That's below me. Okay. Uh, you know, there's this whole matter of the work ethic too. And I think there's a lot to be said about that, but, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, there are some, you know, there are people that just don't have, don't, don't expect that they have to work. And, and, and I, and I, you know, I lay some of that at the feet of the parents from, from time to time. So I obviously have a lot of opinions on this topic mm-hmm. yep so marianne did did uh do you I disclose dis- early yes i like brooke and larry disclose early but um if i could just make think like a lot of things have been going through my, i've been listening very attentively to the conversation and i think like i listened to the three panelists who are very confident people and i think that um what I would love to see is a seminar on how to get blind people to think like that, because I think there, there are two points. One, I, I agree, Paul, that there is discrimination. And, but I also think, I also think it is a lot of, um, in our, in our minds, a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear of discrimination, a lot of fear of rejection. And I, you know, I love that Michael says, you know, we're not going to get hurt by it. We might be, have our feelings hurt, but it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's a conversation that blind people have to have with themselves. And I think that, um, there are so many of us, and I put myself in that, in that category. So many of us don't know how to have that conversation with us. Don't know how to have, because we can't have the conversation with an employer until we have the conversation with ourselves that we're worth a good job, that we can, you know, navigate around the whole discrimination um, field. But I disclose early. Yep. Very good. Interesting. So, the the, the the area that Marianne just raised in terms of in, in terms of trying to um, trying to change the mindset of folks who are blind to become more uh, more confident and more open is that something that the employment committee might look at doing? I don't say why not. We have to start planning for convention. <laughs> but you know, something and this is something that I've I feel like this is my 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 soapbox mantra, whatever. You know, ACB, our affiliates, they allow for a safe place to learn skills. And you 
by, you know, by being on a committee, by chairing, by being an officer, you're able to learn skills that are transferable. And I've always tried to preach that. I mean, I've, I've been around ECB since I was, what, 11 or 12 years old. And I have always been able to say, I can practice like, okay, I want to be a secretary. I want to learn how to write better. I want to learn how to, how to take notes better. I have a safe place that I can learn that skill. And then that skill now becomes transferable. So, you know, we talked about getting experience. Is it traditional experience? No. But is it still a skill? Yes, absolutely. Um, how to speak better, how to, you know, um, all these all these things that just go through my head when it comes to the opportunities that are in our affiliates. How to, pro you know, if you're on a convention committee, you project manage. If you're a committee chair, you project manage. That's, hello. <laughs> but we don't think about these opportunities in those concepts. And that's what I've been trying to, I guess, kind of preach. Um, with next gen is th this is a safe place to learn skills it's I totally, really totally good point michael mm -hmm. that is yep. huge it's interesting you bring that up melanie because recently and i would say within the last uh, year or so i have started adding a lot of the things that i do within my local chapter and within our state affiliate and other affiliates to my resume because those are skills that employers are looking for even though you weren't necessarily getting paid for them you they're they're still demonstrate demonstrable skills that you can pass on to perform the job duties uh and and that's all inclusive uh uh you know uh, other job duties as assigned and they know that hey you do have these skills and these abilities and and thinking about it maybe that does unconsciously unconsciously disclose my blindness before the actual interview um, but I personally uh, typically don't until later so I always said in, um, in speaking with people looking for employment that they can't underestimate the value of the skills they get through volunteerism but they have to be serious about developing that just saying I was a volunteer um, mm -hmm. in thus and such a situation. Frame it in a skill set. So I was ACB's treasurer for six years, which meant I managed a budget of a little, a little over a million dollars each year. And I had to go through the process of, of hiring and processes and policies and audits and everything associated with managing money much more money than i ever had but that became an important part of saying that i'm capable of doing a manager's job if a manager has to build a budget and live with a budget so it's a matter of how you frame that information yeah uh, and, if, and, if and I, learn to apply if, it. if i can jump in here too guys you know, when we're out there in, in the job market, we're competing for jobs. I, I think this has been implied through what everybody's been saying. And, and we right. have to, you know, we have to have the skills that the job requires. And and I think, you know, researching and really understanding what the skills are and then packaging yourself against those skills mm -hmm. are, are something mm -hmm. that, we, that we really need to do. And I think a lot of people 
have trouble doing that, don't know how to do that, you know, some sometimes are are, are too apologetic or, or or what have you. But but you know, I I I I I think you know well, and I'll say something else that's going to be very that could be very very controversial. Okay, and that is. There are a lot of job opportunities outside of the disability system. I have met just an overwhelming number of people who are disabled who want to work within the disability system. And there aren't enough jobs in the disability system for all the people that want to work in the disability system. There are tons of mainstream jobs that are out there. And I think there are people that, that, you know, you talk about risk aversion. I think sometimes to get out into the mainstream is a big risk issue for a lot of people. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I worked in, uh, I mean, I worked in IT and I, I traveled the world and I did all kinds of stuff. Uh, it, uh, you know, I, I, I think if there is a glass ceiling for blind people right now, it's to get into the mainstream and go after mainstream jobs, but we have to compete for them, which means we have to have the skills. And the only time there's discrimination is when you have the same skills as somebody else and they choose that other person because you're blind. Okay. And, and one of the philosophies that I always had in all, all my work is I always, what, you know, once I got into the company I was in, I always, Develop this attitude that I'm going to do the job that nobody else wants to do, and and I found opportunities all over the place, right? So, so you know, it, it, it's kind of like a you know glass half empty, half full type thing. So much of this is mindset. So much of this is how you motivate yourself. And 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 um, you know, some people are are kind of born innately with you know with. with the, the the types of skills that that you know uh, make them successful very successful in in virtually everything they do and some people need to have those skills taught so if i can add to that quickly um i want to tell a story that um highlights this when i one of the jobs i got um it was at a residential facility for adolescents and i was one of the the therapists that worked there it wasn't a disabled related job and it was a line staff therapist i mean i was caring for kids and doing things like that and i remember the boss had a lot i asked him why did you hire me i was straight out of grad school i'm curious what was the reason that you hired me above all other candidates and he said you had a lot of volunteer experience you had a lot of in, of of unpaid work experience and that gave me an idea of what you were willing to do to build your skill set and so please if you take nothing else from what i've said don't underestimate and i'm sure other people in this committee are tired of hearing me say this but don't underestimate the magnitude of of creative ways you can get experience you know, I wanted to be a social worker, so I create. I created some volunteer opportunities. I, you know, I think there's. You can't emphasize enough how much was within our own hands to start creating experience for ourselves. Very good. Any any employment committee want to add anything before we move on? You can. 
All right. So I, again, you guys are going to have to tell me if I'm wrong about this. So um, one of the things that I guess I perceive as one of the responsibilities that an, an employment committee for a, a group like ACB might have is to make recommendations to ACB about some of the things that it ought to be doing as an organization um, to encourage uh, both employability and employment for people who are blind and visually impaired. And so my question is, has the committee um, thought of some recommendations that they want to make to the leadership of ACB uh, about directions they think ACB should be going? I can certainly start us off with that. I think the biggest thing is that ACB needs to make employment a priority. Employment can no longer be an afterthought. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Um, Melanie, thoughts? Um, I, mine, mine would just go back to what I had said kind of early on, which is, um, you know, we're going to start having some of those conversations with um, next gen with students to find out, you know, we know our experiences, but we need to hear from who's doing this day in and day out um, to then help, you know, figure out what that strategy looks like. You know, we think digital accessibility is an issue. Is it? We need to hear from them, right? We need the voice of the customer. They're our customer. Um, and, and it's not just them, but that's a, a starting place to say these are those, you know, folks that are actively in this process right now so what are the issues they're having before they get hired what are the issues they're having after and having that conversation to to, to drill it down mm -hmm. michael I think, I think that's important because talking to people and realizing you know i i can get offered a job i just don't know what should i dress in like we don't spend enough time sometimes focusing on the uh, way people should present themselves. And maybe that's that's something that we need to work with other individuals to teach, or maybe not. And we don't know until we start asking those questions and getting that feedback from people who have questions about employment or who are curious about what what do we need to do to, to be employed. And I would say that ACB's mentorship uh, program is a is a great start to help people realize that there are more opportunities outside the disability community or more opportunities that they can use to become gainfully employed and have success with their employment. One of the things that, um, that is involved in employment is the use of vocational rehabilitation, uh, either, <clears throat> either kind of general voc rehab, if that's the situation that operates in your state, or a division of blind services department, if that's what exists in, in the state where you live. Um, is there a role that the committee sees um, vocational rehabilitation needing to play that it's not now? I think the concern, some of the challenges with vocational rehabilitation is their role is to get some help someone get a job, not necessarily to build a career. Mm -hmm. And I think what we as an employment committee have really tried to encourage is that people build their careers the way they... And so 
I think there is a place for it, but I think it's not where things should stop. And I think sometimes it ends there. The, the, the conversation ends with DVR. So DVR s- encourages people to settle for less than they should. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? Occasionally. I don't think okay. they do the assessment to get you in the right um, and, and I'll give you an example. So I had reached out to um, um, someone that I knew in voc rehab to just start figuring out what I needed to do once I got my, um, once I was told we were getting laid off. And um, their first answer was, oh, well, Cox um, has customer service reps. And I'm like, um, no, like I'm so far beyond that in my career because you're not asking me questions. You're not, you know, so I realized it wasn't a formal intake, but like that was the first response. And I'm going, okay, I understand that there's a portion of our population that um, maybe that's the perfect fit for. That's great. But no, I paid my dues 15 years ago. Um, I, I, I'm not going to go back to that unless I have to. I have a mortgage to pay. I will flip burgers. But um, yep. it just is that idea that I need you guys to ask the right questions. I need you to understand the experience because I do have a career. And while I don't mind moving a step backwards or going lateral, I'm not going back to the beginning. Um, and it also goes back to, and I, I don't know if it was, I think it was... Um, Marianne that said it, we're that those assertive people that won't take it, that we're going to push the envelope. Um, whereas I think a lot are just going to say, oh, yeah, okay, well, great. I can get a job. Fantastic. I, I think a lot do. Michael? Yeah. So um, Voc Rehab and similar organizations throughout the United States have roles to to assist with finding employment or or helping helping get employment unfortunately kind of like what melanie had suggested um a lot of the times it's here's what we can do to get you a job as quickly as possible and then close your case because that's ultimately our goal and and for some age groups, and I'm thinking high school students who have never had any work experience and don't have the confidence to be able to go out there and get a job on their own, this is is semi-acceptable because they need to start somewhere. But for someone who's looking to to build that career or to step out of a customer service role and go into you know management or or another position that they're looking for. I think, and I can't speak for every state because I only have experience with Oregon and Alaska, but I, th- I think a lot of the <laughs> times these, these longer term conversations are overlooked in the, in the opportunity to solve more cases or close more cases. I think also it has to do with caseload too, right? They're overworked. They're understaffed. Like everyone. Yep. <laughs> it, it's, I, I, I don't fault them necessarily, but. Yeah, otherwise I'd mimic what, what Michael's saying. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that concerns me in, in this whole area is I've heard too many people who are chronically unemployed say, but my counselor hasn't found me anything yet. Yes. Um, putting the blame for or, or putting the responsibility to find the job on the MC, or pardon me, MC. That is a on the rehab counselor. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think counselors a, find desk jobs often. <laughs> that's a very well, concerning that's statement. Not their job. Yeah, it's yeah. simply not their job. Their job is to help you find employment, yeah. help you get the experience, to help you uh, through the application process, those kinds of things. Uh, so I think that there's a real disconnect between consumer expectations. Uh, and what, in fact, the system was designed around doing. And if I can add, I think in that statement, I, I, I've said it a couple of times, is the learned helplessness. But the subject always needs to be you when it's about your life. My counselor has not found me. That's the counselor is the, to think of things the way where we are the actor participants in our own life yep i think i think that's i think that's a good point um i think there there are uh, i don't want to say many i but i guess i do um there are many blind people who i think who i think wait for other people to tell them what to do how to do it and when to do it um so are there are there other factors that you guys would highlight um, that ACB needs to be working on um, in, in order to improve the prospect of, of hiring folks who are blind? If I can uh, punch in here, this is Peter. Um, Peter. Employment Committee. So um, I, I appreciate the comments that are made about doing that needs assessment. Um, but having said that, I believe, I, I believe two things, uh, I think this digital, digital accessibility issue is huge, not just for employment, but for other areas. I know for medical issues, you know, with inaccessible, you know, uh, you know, check-in systems and all. So define that a little more, Peter, so that some of our listeners who well, may not know about so, it. So for example, on, on, on the, on the job process, uh, the job applications, many of them are not accessible or, or partially accessible or, um, uh, you know, uh, Melanie was talking about the experience that she had that she was able to work through that maybe folks who are totally blind might not be as successful as working through. Um, there are, um, I'm drawing, a, I'm drawing a blank of the word there. You know, when people, when you walk into a building to, to sign up for a medical thing, you're supposed to use um, uh, a tablet or a tablet or something. A yeah, kiosk. That's what we're looking for that are inaccessible. I mean, there's this, this seems to be a massive issue. And I think ACB really needs not only to raise this higher in their priority level, but we also need to find other ways of doing this. I mean, people that the, the go-to approach seems to be legislated legislation. And I'm not against legislation. Right. I think that can be really important. But frankly, we 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 live in a in an environment now where Legislators are less empathic towards us than it was, but when the ADA was signed, and I think we need to find, be more creative in finding ways to advocate for for this kind of stuff. That's so, my first comment. Okay, Paul. Are you suggesting litigation, or are you? No, suggesting I'm, I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting. And this sort of leads into my second point. I'm suggesting that, for example, uh, one of the things that Dan Spoon has been talking uh, with the community uh, with community about is uh, the committee about is they have certain employers that are part of their uh, go to for a number of things, including, and so can we find, Got it. can, can we find ways to work with these employers to make their processes more accessible? What, what can, what can we do with, for those employers and with those employers to make this process work better for them? 
who are trying to hire people, right? Uh, that it's a win for everybody. Um, and that's one of the things that that we're hoping that we can work with Dan and and the, uh, and the officers and the uh, staff to to really who are these employers that really we want to work with. Uh, we we are, for example, thinking of starting that podcast again. And one of the things we're thinking of doing is interviewing those employers. You know, what are you looking for? What 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 do you have in place? You know, so the folks can see that there are employers who are who are committed to to, to hiring blind folks. And and what and uh, I think that's a really important thing, and so we're really hoping that um, that that Dan and other folks will help us work through issues like this. But but just to reinstate, I think the dig- digital accessibility piece is 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 is, is incredibly um, complicated, and it, and from what I can see from my experiences and, and talk to other people, it's getting worse. That there's so many different proprietary systems and so many things out there. That we need to find ways of at least putting a, a, a um, finger in the dike, if you will, because it, I'm, I'm having issues, for example, in my situation, which I won't go into here. Um, but you know, they're, they're workable, but they take a lot of effort. And it would be nice if, if the accessibility issues were, were more prominent. And so I, I, I just think that that to me, uh, is something that I think ACB needs to take a, a, a closer look at. Hey, Paul, can I jump in here? Rick and then Burke. Um, you know, ACB does, you know, great work. Uh, there's no question about it. I, 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 this is, um, what I would love to see ACB do, you know, we do a lot of quality of life stuff and, um, I'd, I'd like ACB to be, uh, considering before we take on a major initiative, how can that, can that piece of advocacy, how does it impact employability? I, I, you know, we, we attack things a lot on the consumer side, but, you know, we've got all of these great companies that are sponsors, right? And we approach these companies pretty much as consumers. Um, you would think that all these companies that sponsor us, um, you know, we ought to be just pounding their doors down for employability type stuff. Yeah. You know, JP Morgan uh, gives us money, tens of thousands of dollars to build leaders. Um, how many people uh, have come out of ACB and been employed by JP Morgan? I, I don't know. Right. So, so, so I, I, I you know, I, I I think as we consider stuff, I'd, I'd love that to be one of the gating factors, you know, like let's focus more. And I think Brooke said priority. Somebody said it needs to be priority. Totally agree with that. It needs to be top of mind. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. Empl- employment needs to be as important as consumerism. Yeah. Brooke? I thought uh, you were going to say something. I think Rick said it really well. I think. I was going to say, you know, I respect a lot of what ACB has done for, for quality of life, you know, being able to, to be on Netflix, (laughs) sign into Netflix or Hulu and, and have something be um, audio described is really, is really cool. And it makes me feel like I belong. And why is that more talked about than employability? Mm -hmm. And why is employment still optional among our in in our community you know i don't know that when we, when social security income became uh available to blind people was it so that it could replace employability because that is what it has done 
Well, I think um, there's something to be said for employment, improving quality of life, right? Oh, I think that's, and when I say yes. that, like internally, you feel accomplishment, you, mm -hmm. you know, not, I'm not talking just money, you know, you've got a sense of accomplishment, you're doing something every single day, you're helping somebody, you're improving something, whatever that is, there's that accomplishment that does wonders to, you know, fight depression and anxiety and all these things that are just, just abounding in our society. But to be able to go to work every day and do something good, there's something to be said for that. I think there may be a lot to be said for it. So how how would how would you guys imagine ACB making employment a priority? Is it just enough to say that it is, or what do they need to do? I think I, I, I think that I'm sorry, go ahead, Michael. Okay. Uh, so I think that the ACB can make employment a priority by offering and, and working with different organizations, kind of like what was already stated, uh, to, to help these individuals say, you know, you as a blind individual, as a blind member of ACB could go work at this specific company. And here's another person who's, who's doing it, or here's someone who's doing something similar and making offering those relationships and those connections because a lot of it does come down to what we have been programmed. That's not the right word I want to use, but I'll use it anyways. What we've been programmed is blind consumers to believe. And that is, Oh, don't worry. Social security is fine for you. You're, you're, you're fine with that. Or you don't need to go to work. And, and unfortunately that's, that's what a lot of people are believing. And I think the more we get other people out there showing that, Hey, I am a, a architect or I am a civil engineer um, can help with motivating individuals to say, you know, I, I can follow my dreams. I can go out there and explore those opportunities. Peter, Paul, I, I think um, uh, was it Rick or somebody who Brian or who it was said it really nicely. We have lots of employers that sponsor various activities. We have lots of employers on various you know who give us input on a variety of things. We should be using that as leverage. There's no there's no reason these folks are trying to hire people. You know, uh, I know uh, for a while Amazon was trying to hire a bunch of people for their for their for their customer service. I know they're laying a bunch of people off now, but you know, there is a need for certain skill sets. And it seems to me we should be uh, working with these organizations to say, what can we do to support you to hire more, you know, more disabled blind people? You know, here's what we think. Here are the issues we're seeing. How are you, you know, I, I just think we need to build those partnerships. I think that's going to be far more effective than given the legislative thing we find ourselves in than, than you know, spending all of our uh, uh, resources in Washington, D.C., or our state capitals. Right. I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed to some of that, but I think we need to branch out and do and do try other things as well. We've talked a lot Brian. about private employment. I'll get I'll get you in just a second, Brian. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked an awful lot about private employment, but what about federal employment and public employment? Are, are are there things we should be working on there? Uh, it's the same kind of issues. The last I uh, I checked the uh, and I haven't checked in a while, but the federal employment process is a nightmare. It's not wildly accessible. And in fact, I remember uh, talking to somebody at the Department of Justice at a job fair, and she said, "Well, you know, you go to our, my website." And then she stopped and said, "Yeah, I know our website's inaccessible. I'm so sorry about that, but that's what you have to do." I mean, this this is the kind of stuff. This is the part of justice we're talking about. This, you know, this is just not acceptable. And it seems to me we should be reaching out to whoever their 
you know, uh, human resource folks are, or their, you know, diversity and inclusion people are and saying, Hey, okay, what can we do to make, to make this a little easier for everybody involved? Uh, I don't think the issues are much different in the federal, uh, or the, you know, the government than it is in the, in the private sector. I could be wrong. The federal government has had obligations for accessibility since 1973, and we don't have to spend a lot of time to, 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 to talk about the degree to which 508 is not is not functioning or working right. well. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. They're, they're, they're supposed to legally do this, but I, to the best of my knowledge, it's not enforced very well. Um, well, so, and, and but so I guess I'm saying, should ACB be doing stuff about that? I, I think if they're, if they're, I think it's the same process. If there are organizations, I, I think there's so much talk at the parks department that uh, was, was working with ACB on something, you know, let's, le- let's leverage that kind of those kinds of uh, processes and see what we can, what we can do to make things a little easier for everybody involved. It's frustrating. You know, as somebody who's worked on the recruiting side of things, it's really frustrating for the recruiters as well. You know, we're, we're, you know, they're trying to do the right thing, but they're hamstrung by a whole bunch of issues. They have little control over. And, you know, what can we do to make things easier for everybody involved? It seems to me is, should be the goal. Um, so, I'll, I'll, yeah. And if, and if I can add really quickly, and then Brian, I, I know that you were going to speak that um, I don't remember who it was that said, you know, we would love to have a panel on helping blind people be more confident. If we could safely and confidently say ACV is going to help advocate for you. You need if we can say these things and confidently say ACB is is in the advocacy role. We need you to branch out and try these things. But right now, I don't know if we can confidently say this is a high priority for your organization. So go out and try these things. And 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 I and, and I don't know either that that ACB would regard would regard advocating in, in an individual employment situation as something they'd be likely to do. I don't right, know that. We're, we're, I talking can't. Systemic, we're, we're talking about systemic, systemic changes that help everybody. I'm not talking about- Correct. I'm situation. saying systemically. And I, I will I, say, I, I do want to say really quick, I, I, they did help me advocate on an individual level. Uh, advocacy, Clark Rocheville and Claire at the time did. So I, I don't want anyone to hear me say that I'm bashing what they've done. I'm saying if we can safely say that they're systemically advocating- that's going to help us individually work with blind people on their confidence. Thanks. Thanks for clarifying what you were saying. Brian. A couple of things. First off, there are examples in ACB's history of this partnership between sponsors and employment. Uh, Example would be working with Microsoft. Uh, We worked very closely with Microsoft over the years, and they have a constant push to employ people with disabilities. Uh, one example of actually doing it is our own Jeff Fisher, who works in the accessibility team at Microsoft and relocated to Seattle to take that position. He was highly qualified for it. Uh, and through his relationship with ACB, knew the right people to uh, get a toehold and to become employed. And there's a lot of opportunities in Microsoft outside of the accessibility department, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, they're not talking about just positions in the disability side. That's just a person I I know who succeeded in that regard. I I understand. I'm I'm just saying, you know, 
it, you know, we need to just be really pursuing those other opportunities. And I'm not without saying, a question. I'm not without a question. Not, but you know, and and there's this other relationship we have with Apple. Uh, they came out with that uh, audio described series C, and in the process, they were asked, you know, how many blind people were uh, acting as blind people in that series, and their complaint was no blind people no blind people applied to be actors who themselves were blind so rather than sit and wring their hands because nobody was applying they started an acting school to help blind people who wanted to be actors uh, to be able to act in uh, at a professional level like that and so that's that's examples of how we can turn our relationships with mainstream companies into employment potential for blind people. One of the questions I'd ask everybody is, when is the issue of employment national versus local? You know, AC, we, all, all of our committees in ACB uh, pretty much count on having some program available during the ACB National Convention. Now, over the course of the last three years, I think I've been a speaker on the program for at least eight ACB affiliates on one topic or another. So when should the ACB Employment Committee put pressure on the organization on national issues and when should we develop partnerships with our affiliates to assist them by offering program opportunities, for example, uh, to make that activity more a local kind of function rather than a national function? Uh, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Brian. National convention, let me just, I, I know national convention very intimately, and we've got tons of technology uh, you know, overwhelmingly, we're focused on technology. Uh, we ought to be equally as focused on employment. We could take a lot of those technology things and talk about them in the context of how that technology will assist you in gaining employment. We never make that connection. Mm -hmm. Okay. When iPhones first came out, you know, everybody was telling me how great iPhones were. And I always said, you know, how is that going to make me more employable? And I got just blank answers back, right? So, so you know, to your point, Peter, t the digital stuff is very, very important. We've got all this focus on tech, but it's kind of like tech for tech's sake, or it's tech for quality of life sake. And let's turn that around a little bit and start looking at tech in terms of how that makes you more employable. I personally think there ought to be as much programming at National Convention about employment as there, as there is about tech. And there's a, a, a big imbalance in that right now. Okay. But, but some of that, you know, again, is how, how we can position tech. I, I, I wonder, and this is, this is a, 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 an, an awful thing to say, Rick, but I wonder 
if the convention is the place to to do employment related stuff because if you're if you're creating opportunities for folks who are in person you're likely not to get people who are unemployed i think i think paul a better way of framing that question is how can we best use conventions whether virtual or in person as we as as a strategy to to improve the way employment is handled right it, right convention is not the only way to do it there are other ways of doing sure it well. i mean i'm I, I am not disagreeing with what rick said right. I, i'm well, just yeah conven- my, yeah convention- my concern is that that maybe conventions maybe conventions will move in a way where it won't matter as much but well, anyway i'm sorry rick yeah, go ahead no in the virtual thing i think you know we've got an opportunity here to re- yes we do um you know, the reason why, I mean, convention is one of our biggest. Yes, uh, it is. You know, it, 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 it's what, the, you know, many people in the world know us by is by our convention. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, we can make a strong statement. Um, you know, some of this is cultural within ACB, I think. Okay. And, and um, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, and some of it is, you know, kind of the demographics of the population of these mm-hmm. as well. Okay, we're really, really skewed towards, you know, sixty-five plus. Okay, sure. Um, so, so you know, at next gen, you know, is is doing, you know, a lot of the good stuff. ACB, it, for as, as a matter of survival, needs to be very, very focused on rebuilding itself. What, what I find interesting about the vast majority of people in ACB that are 65 joined ACB when they're in their twenties and thirties. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they've, you know, they, they've, they've lived their whole life in ACB. Uh, we've got to start rebuilding that way. And then by virtue of changing those demographics a little bit, things like employment will be, you know, probably more top of mind because it's going to be a lot more of, of, of what that demographic is, is interested in hearing. So members of the committee, at least there's been some question raised as to whether there's a role for you guys at the state and local level. Do you have comments on that? I think the state level is a good place for us as a committee to get started with with having those conversations because there's that more personable employment opportunity at that level. Well, and there and, and there are, there are actually some states that have employment committees. I know Florida does, and I think California does. Um, and and so it it might be interesting to see whether it would make sense to try to establish some relationships between affiliate employment committees and the national one. Uh, other comments from Melanie or or uh, or Brooke. I, I State think and local stuff. I think there's a little bit of a, I'm going to contradict myself, so so bear out the whole sentence. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a two-way street in that there needs to be, to an extent, some approach from the state. That being said, they also need to know that we exist. There's my mm-hmm. contradiction. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, us doing more programming, us getting ourselves more out there, uh, ourselves, us getting more of ACB behind us, um, being more visible will allow for that opportunity because we can't go, you know, there are what, seven of us, eight of us. Um, So where do we start? Well, we start with, you know, who, who comes after us to, to an extent, 
Um, but I, I agree with Michael, you're in a much more intimate, you know, um, situation that you can um, kind of tailor more towards. Um, Brooke, you want to add anything? I would, I would say kind of what Melanie said, there are eight of us. <laughs> um, we've already had more ideas than manpower. Um, all eight of us are employed. <laughs> so um, without the support of, of more than just us, there's not much more that I could re reasonably expect of my committee in terms of that. I would agree that it would be great to have that partnership. Um, and hopefully with us being more visible, that can happen. We do need to be approached though. So I want to ask a, a question that, that has certainly gotten some attention recently, and that has to do with whether it's actually getting easier or harder for blind people to find jobs now. And, and whether in the future it looks as though it's going to become easier or harder for people to find jobs. Um, do members of the committee have a comment on that? To find jobs or to get jobs? Because that's two totally different <laughs> or, or to get well, through the I, screening. I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think what I was talking about was the, was the process of getting from starting to look to the place where you actually get the job. So the process rather than rather than whether whether jobs are becoming undoable i that wasn't a question i was exploring i think it's hard regardless yes oh, go ahead. yeah go i ahead. mean you're you're you've you know you don't have a person looking at your resume anymore you know yeah. and that's the first thing they're going to teach you is you have to your resume has to be written right um it has to have the right keywords to even get to a set of eyes so regardless of disability or not, I, I, if you're not well-versed in what that looks like, you're not even going to get a chance to sell yourself. Right. Melanie, um, help, our, help our listeners understand what you mean by your resume is going to be looked at by a person. So, um, and there's, a, there's an actual acronym, and I cannot think of what it is, but basically it's, it's um, artificial intelligence. It's a computer that's matching the words in your resume to the words in that job description. And if you don't have a certain percentage of those words, or potentially even they might have certain words that are mandatory words like, um, oh, I don't know, um, program manager, um, um, I don't know, written communication, things that are, are mandatory for that role you will never, you're going to get that automatic email back that says, thanks for applying. We're going with other people and no person has ever seen your resume. Yep. Okay. Um, I want to, um, go ahead, Brooke. I want both to be true. I, I mean, I want to argue that both are true. It can be harder and it can be easier now than before. It's easier because we have the ADA. It's easier because we have conversation and dialogue and conversations with and networking and resources and the internet and and let's not downplay that and everything that <laughs> michael and melanie yeah, said yeah. is also true right and so it's easier because in in a lot of ways i would much rather be trying to get a job in 2022 than in 1971 <laughs> yeah so 
I don't want to downplay the ease as well and make people scared to try. Larry. Larry. All what what you've said is all true. It's very true. But but the thing that I think was touched on earlier that has to happen is attitude. And it's attitude of the blind person, he or her seeking the job. If if their attitude isn't one of I've gotta go for this, I wanna go for this, I want to be employed, it doesn't matter how easy or hard the process is because it's all about attitude and it's always been about attitude. That's what I've often told people is there's a 70% unemployment rate and we'll just randomly throw that number out because uh, you know that that number has been thrown out there. Yeah. How much of that 70% unemployed are people who are actively trying to get a job? And and I haven't read numbers that answer that question. Well, they're not they're, they're not supposed to be counted if they're not if they're not actively job seeking, but that doesn't mean they aren't. Um I don't so believe in mind that, that, that those statistics reflects. Yeah, those statistics are that doesn't make sense when i say brood i don't mean unintentional i mean the information they're based on was a lot of fancy schmancy uh probabilities that x number of people are this or that so i i, I don't worry so much about that 70 number there are other people who claim that it's more like 35 percent uh there are even others who suggest that it's only that we're only three times less likely to be <laughs> successful at looking for work. Only three times less successful. But you you have to acknowledge that there is uh, this problem that is. I was when I taught computers, it was always there's hardware, there's software, and there's jellyware. And it was the jellyware, the human interface between that hardware and software where most of the problems occurred. The human being themselves is 90% of the problem associated with things. And I think we, we here in this group probably, generally speaking, agree that most of the problem is the people, whether it's on the employer side or the employee side. It's yeah. a people problem. And, and, it's and, absolutely we, and, a people problem. and we are competing we are in a competitive market. Okay. So, you know, the things like writing the resumes and writing the cover letters and all that kind of stuff, you know, to get past that first step is absolutely, you know, uh, crucial. Critical. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I mean, we have to be as qualified as anybody else that's applying for that job. We have to be, and if, and if you want to get the job, then you should be more qualified, right? I mean, if you, if you don't want to have to deal with discrimination and, and um, uh, you know, I use, I hate to use myself as an example, but you know, I, I, I would rewrite my resume every time I would go apply for a job. Yeah. I, I'm it's, beginning to think that's almost necessary now. You have to. Oh, it absolutely. Yeah. You have it to. Absolutely. Things change you know, too rapidly. And we talk about the, the, the themes that have come up, right? Assertiveness and persistence. Looking for a job today is exhausting because there are so many avenues to look for one. So if you don't have that game plan of this is, you know, I'm going to spend two hours, whatever it is, right? I'm, every single day I'm going to do. If you don't have that plan, it, it's overwhelming. Yep. 
Yep. It's just, just the amount of places you can go look, okay. it's just overwhelming. And that's a very easy way to feel defeated. Mm-hmm. But looking for work ought to be a full-time occupation. Mm-hmm. If you're unemployed, want to be employed, then looking for work is what you should do Monday through All Friday, day, nine to five. Every day. Yep. Absolutely. You, I would it argue might that. Not be, it, it might not be that you're literally filling out applications. It might be that you're working that volunteer job as a means of adding to your resume. That's perfectly legitimate time toward looking for work. I, one other thing that concerns me is the empty places in people's resumes that I've read, where they didn't, you know, there's nothing on the resume, like they didn't do anything for three years that fills in those gaps in their resume, which means that at some point, it became exhausting to do it. So they took an extended vacation from the process of looking. So Marianne, do we do we actually have hands raised or not? You had one hand raised. Renee has her hand raised. Oh, another just... employment person. So hey Renee, what what can we do for you or what would you like to say? Oh, thank you very much, uh, Paul. Yeah, um, when, um, well, first let me say that uh, I agree with everything that has been said, that um, um, volunteer work is a full-time uh, job. That's what I did before I got my job, even before I began working for Social Security. I started working for the Red Cross. I worked in their billing office as a volunteer, and I had somebody train me on on. On the payroll and I learned how to do payroll as well as volunteer doing the other things but it was all volunteer work and when I worked for the hospital I I was I had public relations experience but what I wanted to say is uh, one many years ago in private employers where they were given a tax incentive for making their software their programs accessible uh, to um, to blind and disabled pe- people, and <clears throat> I was wondering if something like, I haven't heard about it in many years, but if I want, was wondering if anything has st- still been uh, a part of that, um, and uh, because when you get employed, the software like the software um, at the uh, place of work is not always accessible, and. When I worked at the hospital, I did have to provide my own uh, JAWS software. I had to pay for it myself, and I paid for the insurance. But I was just wondering if um, the, uh, if, if anybody knows, if because if they, they used to do that, like somehow the government uh, would, would, they would get a tax incentive or, a, or some kind of a credit for making their software accessible. And I think that's part of the problem is that employers... Uh, a lot of their software may not be accessible or um, or they may not know about screen readers. And part of the problem when people go to find employment, of course, they have to educate the employer about screen readers and what they do. But I was, if there's any comments about that and um, be happy to help um, with uh, with anything that the employment committee we uh, 
at uh, government employees, we did work with the employment committee. I think at one convention, we helped uh, write resumes, review resumes, and we had a um, um, we had a uh, we did a seminar on the USA Jobs uh, website. But also, I was wondering um, how accessible the um, uh, indeed the um, online resumes. How how accessible? Is that, does anybody know? And I know I've spoken a lot. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Renee. Uh, anybody from the committee want to comment on either of her two questions? I'll just say I find Indeed to be fairly accessible. Um, I, I have used it quite a bit. I don't know anything about tax incentives for employers to make their software accessible, yeah. though. Anybody else? Yes, Donna Browning has her hand raised. Donna? Well, hello. So um, I, I, um, what I did uh, at the beginning, you mentioned, did, did we acknowledge that we were visually impaired at first? Yeah. I yeah, always got about two minutes, Miss Donna. Okay. I always acknowledge it right away. I don't know if I would do that now. I have thought about looking for new work. I love my job, but, um, I don't know. I, I would like to work from home. My job's not going to offer that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that might be problems too is a lot has changed in how you look for jobs. A lot of people have had jobs like me in the same place for a very long time and don't even know how to go about looking for a new job. That is something the employment committee might want to tackle also. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I also volunteered a lot. Um, the job I have now I volunteered for a day to show them I could do it. And that's all it took. So, you know, it, you just never know. A little volunteering might get you a job. Um, but uh, I think we need to do a little bit of education maybe to help people who uh, might want to be out there looking but are not quite sure um, of everything that is out there and how to go about it. Very good. Thank you, Ms. Donna. So, Ms. Brooke, final comments um, from from the employment committee's perspective, and then we'll we'll invite the other two to make a quick comment. So maybe in thirty or forty seconds. Well, I just appreciate being um, involved in this conversation. It was really a, a good conversation and meaningful. And please, um, please keep employment in mind um, and continue to advocate for more advocacy in the realm of employment. Thank you. Ms. Melanie. I, I really just have to echo what, what Brooke said. You know, part of this is our visibility and being able to be um, on Tuesday topics gives us just that much more visibility um, where those two-way conversations can start happening and where they can keep happening. Um, so I'm just, I'm thankful that this is an avenue that, that we were able to pursue. And con contact us, you guys, if you if you would uh, if if you'd like to be back on. If there's something you're doing that you'd like to promote, Mr. Michael. Yeah, just uh, if you're listening to this podcast live stream, where if you're live with us right now, and employment is important to you, 
we mentioned it earlier. We, all of us on the committee are employed, which has its own unique challenges of being able to help bring awareness of the employment needs for blind or sight impaired individuals. So if you're interested in getting involved, please reach out to Brooke and uh, we can help you guys with getting set up and, and helping the, uh, the, the committee. Very good. And Brooke, are you comfortable giving out your email address? It's probably best to get it on the website. It's very long. <laughs> very good. So look on, on the ACB website under the Employment Committee. I mean, I'll say it if you guys want me to. Uh, no, nah, it's okay. Okay. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank the Employment Committee for their participation as well as our, our usual suspects who are part of our production team. Um, I've certainly been encouraged to rethink some of the positions that I have taken with regard to employment by this discussion. I hope that other people have been as well. Next week, Tuesday Topics is not happening, and that's because next week is the, uh, is the ACB ADP Gala, or Audio Description Gala, and we didn't want to be contributing or con competing with them. Uh, so we felt like it would make sense for us to stand aside and let everybody go to the gala. So I expect everybody who's here this evening to be there next week. We appreciate your talking about what all of us think needs to be a priority in ACB, which is employment. And good night.